Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Michael Reed on LMFM. Monday morning, the 29th of March. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The barbaric murder and mutilation of uh, teenagers remains in Drogheda in January of last year made for international headlines. People around the country were simply shocked at the latest gangland killing in the Drogheda drugs feud. But in Drogheda itself, people were afraid. Who will be next? What will be next? When will it happen? Where might it happen? Are the streets safe? People wondered, could I get shot going about my daily business as the Garda helicopter consistently flew overhead? It's a 17-year-old juvenile. He disappeared on Sunday, the 12th of January, and parts of his remains have now been discovered. This is a brutal, savage attack on a child, and it's completely unacceptable in any normal democratic society. Gardaí investigating a child murder were fully aware that the gangsters had, on this occasion, gone too far. It is important to remember that Keane was a child, a young boy trying to find his life, his way in life. He has now lost his life and his family have lost their loved son the dead boy was last seen alive on the 12th of January last year. Soon after, some of his body parts started appearing in different locations. At approximately 9.55pm on Monday, the 13th of January, Gardy responded to a 9-9 call that a bag containing human remains had been found in Motorview Drive, Coolock, Dublin 17. A black Puma sports bag was recovered, which contained parts of human remains. At approximately 1.30am this morning, Wednesday the 15th of January, Gardaí responded to a call from Dublin Fire Brigade indicating that there was a vehicle on fire at Trinity Terrace in Dublin 3. Further, partial human remains were recovered from this vehicle. That's the Chief Superintendent uh, for Louth, Chrissy Mangan, speaking at a press conference uh, last January following what a government commissioned report described last week as a particularly horrific low point and led to a public outcry against specific incidents such as this and raised real concerns uh, about uh, the safety of people in Drogheda. That 
report, the Guerin report, as you know, was published on Friday and Vivian Guerin says uh, that uh, the murder we were talking about a moment ago in- initiated and uh, led to the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, commissioning the report in response. The Minister is on the line with us now. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. This report from Guerin in many ways outlines the problems and makes many suggestions in terms of finding solutions to those problems. It does. Um, I mean, Michael, what you've just outlined there in, in the initial commentary, Drogheda as a town, it, it's faced significant challenges over the last number of years, but really much of this has been as a result of actions of organised crime groups and it has been having an impact on people for many years. But the, the murder of the young man that you just mentioned really escalated this to another level and it met, left so many people feeling unsafe. Uh, they fared for their own security of that of the, the, the members within their community, their family, their friends. And really the march that we all attended, that you attended, that I attended, people came together and demanded much more for their community. And, and as a government, the onus was on us to respond. And, and the report that was commissioned um, is there to try and deal with that that fear. But the, the work that needs to be done to address so much of what has happened over the last number of years. So Vivian Gearan, who who is the former head of the probation service, has been for the last number of months engaging with the community. He's reached out and met with individual groups, but organisations. He's met with local authority. He's met with, you mentioned Chief Superintendent Chrissy Mangan and, and the Gardaí and, of course, our local representatives. And what it's resulted in is this report, which sets out very clearly quite a number of things. There, there's over 70 recommendations here, but... If I could maybe break it down into a number of areas that he highlights and identifies as needing attention, needing change in, in structure and how we deal with these issues. And of course, investment and funding as well. But firstly, he talks about cross-agency coordination. And really, this is about how can we put in place a structure, bringing together not just at a national level, all of our departments, so my own injustice, education, health, uh, environment, all of these groups together and put a structure in place that will help us drive this plan. Secondly, he talks about a safety and well-being board. Now, this is very, very similar to work that is currently underway in my department where three pilots are being rolled out this year and potentially this may be the, the fourth pilot given how similar the focus is from Vivian Guerin. It's looking at how can we bring together at a more local level everybody from our Gardaí Akana, to our local schools, our local community organisations, um, our local representatives, our agencies, and how can we put a plan in place that is driven by the community, identifying what their concerns are on safety. Now, obviously, people might say, well, this is not what this report is doing, but it's, it's really drilling it down and it's putting a structure in place as to how these can be implemented. And then we have other recommendations around subgroups looking at policing and drugs, family support, employment, all of these other areas. So there's a mm. huge amount even just in the initial element of actually Absolutely. putting a structure yeah. in place to it's implement this. Very, very comprehensive report. It runs to over 70 pages and uh, I suppose it, it looks at the problem historically in terms of what went wrong or how it, it might have gone wrong or what we can learn from that to prevent it from happening again. It looks at the problem as it exists and makes recommendations in terms of policing the problem uh, and then it talks about all of these preventative measures uh, and so many strands to that uh, in the 
diverting minds uh, in a direction other than that of drugs or criminality, as the case may be. Well, what, what is the situation at the moment, though, with this feud? Uh, the gangs have gone quiet, or seem to have gone quiet, uh, certainly much quieter than once they were. Uh, has the feud ended? I, I, I don't know is, is the honest answer. I, I can't imagine um, that things have suddenly stopped uh, and that those who are operating and have been operating for many, many years have, have decided to turn away from it. Oh, but no, I, I don't mean that. I mean, the, the drug dealing continues. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but have uh, they stopped fighting amongst themselves? Uh, has uh, the attacks uh, been put on hold? Uh, is the feud over? Has some settlement been reached? I, I think what's happened really in the last while, given the significance of the murder that you outlined at the beginning, but so much of what has happened, there was huge investment in our local Gardaí and a huge amount of work led by the Chief Superintendent, Christy Mangan and others. A huge amount of work has been done to specifically hone in and pinpoint and to um, to, to, to deal with many of the criminals involved in these organised gangs. And there have been huge levels of progress made in targeting and in addressing some of, of the activity that has been happening. And that in itself, I think, has probably benefited and, and has contributed to what seems like a more quieter period in the last number of months and in the last year. In saying that, as you've said, there is still a huge amount of activity happening. There is still a huge amount of drug dealing. There are still younger people getting involved. And that's why we need not just investment in Angarbashi Akana. We need all of these other structures. And you mentioned some of them some of the key paragraphs or the key recommendations in this are specifically looking at youth and community development, the facilities, the specific services for young people and how we can have a better coordinated and a better outreach, how we can continue actually because this is something that had been happening already, a mapping exercise or an auditing of the services that currently exist for our younger people because these gangs only exist by having members, by having people who are willing to get involved, willing to carry out this kind of work and they prey on younger people. And we've discussed this before, people as young as uh, children, as young as eight and nine and 10 and 11. And it's only by actually breaking that cycle and getting involved at a young age that we can stop that. So I think it's a mixture of things in the last year that has happened. Yes, we've had increased in, in um, support from Garda Siakana and the report clearly says that we need more. And, and I know uh, that, that the Garda would be looking at this saying, yes, we need more to try and break these gangs down even further. Yeah. But there's so much more in terms of the community involvement and actually stopping it at the very pass where they try and drag these people into what they're doing because that's the only way that they can continue in their work. So there's also obviously, uh, I mean, the report itself and people might say, well, we've published the report. How is this going to be implemented? Mm. I was very conscious that um, the, the community and others were, were aware that the report was concluded um, and I didn't want to wait until we had a full implementation plan in place because I want to engage with them as well before we set out this full plan. So the report was published Friday. I'll be meeting with community groups and organisations with Vivian Gearan this week. We'll meet with local representatives. We'll, we'll get their feeling of, of this report and, and what they think of it, I suppose, and, and what their thoughts are as to how we implement it. And by the end of April, we will have a full implementation plan on what that looks like. But to show people our, our initial commitment, uh, specifically when it comes to the issue of, of drugs and the huge impact that's having on the community, we identified €150,000 that will initially straight away go into supporting some of the organisations that deal with drugs, 
outreach, with counselling, with family support, addiction networks and that kind of space as well. So there's an initial response, but in a month's time, we hope to have the, the full implementation plan, getting into all of these recommendations and, and how, the, how best to implement them. Just uh, clarify that for us, if you would, please. Minister Vivian Guerin has recommended €150,000 uh, for a full year to be allocated to, to the Red Door project. Uh, is that what you're confirming is happening? So this is for the Red Door, but there is also some other um, organisations that, that we've been engaged with that are going to receive that as well. Such so as the Family Addiction Network? because the Family he, Addiction Network, yes. So the, the funding is, is initial funding and it's not... It's not the only funding, but the Red Door Group, uh, which has been do- a Red Door organisation, which has been doing significant work locally, will receive uh, this money. And then obviously there's commitment for furthering funding, further commitment for further uh, resourcing into other organisations and, and other groups as well. And that will, of course, be addressed in, in the overall full implementation plan. Okay. Can uh, the community expect uh, the Northside Moneymore Community Hub uh, to be realised? So again, there's, there's a number of recommendations here and really what we need to do is work through the recommendations, engage with the other departments because uh, unfortunately it doesn't all fund, fall under my remit. So we've been already reaching out to local community and environment and, and the various different departments that would help us support these recommendations. And, uh, you know, this is where the, the, the coordination and the structure that will implement this is really important, that we have full buy-in from all of the departments involved um, or that we need to be involved in this to make sure that many of these recommendations are, are realised, if not all of them. So that's ongoing at the moment. So while I, I can't say that absolutely everything here mm. will be implemented as set out and recommend, recommended by Vivian Gearan, it's certainly my intention that the vast majority will be um, ho- however we can. And obviously that work is ongoing at the moment with, with the departments, but also with people on the ground and with mm. the local authorities, particularly in, in relation to that that specific project. Okay, and he makes many recommendations uh, about keeping young minds busy uh, and I suppose some of them can't happen without the infrastructure. Another recommendation is uh, that the sports and uh, community changing meeting block at at Diffie uh, would also uh, receive funding of about a a million euro. Absolutely, and and this is you know, it's clear that the initial funding of 150,000, this is very small money to, to make it clear that we are committed to this project, but the overall plan will require significant and substantial funding and it's something that I'm fully committed to and this government is fully committed to. So we need to make sure that, that the plan, um, we can set out, and I'm a firm believer in when you set out a plan, that you give timelines, that you give clear directions, that people know uh, how and when this is going to work. So that's what we're going to work on over the next few weeks. But, you know, you mentioned... It's not just about funding, and in particular with the the, the education and the the arts mm. and the culture and the recreation space. Uh, it's looking at developing a strategic plan in this space. It's, it's about role models for younger people and healthy activities. It's getting people involved. But in order to do that, you do need the infrastructure. You need the spaces for them to play and to to get involved in these types of recreations. So this will require funding. It will require significant funding, and we need to be very clear about that and, and as I said I'm fully committed to that through my own department and where we uh, fall into this plan and, and there's quite a significant number of actions under the Department of Justice uh, and as a government we need to make sure that all of those other actions that we're committing to them as well. Very good, so that will uh, be uh, published uh, you expect by the end of April? 
by the end of April at the latest. Very yeah. good. Okay, Minister, thanks uh, for that. Uh, you have a, a busy day ahead again, uh, looking at uh, the restrictions uh, as uh, part of uh, that uh, subcommittee on uh, COVID. Uh, the Cabinet will meet full government meeting uh, tomorrow then, uh, and uh, again, we're expecting to hear what might change from the 5th of April. Is there any room for hope? There is, and we have to give people some form of, of hope and, and really respond to the, the huge effort that has been made by absolutely everybody over the last year. And, and it's so hard to believe that we are a year where we are now and, and still dealing with this. But we'll meet this evening at about six o'clock, I think, the, the COVID Cabinet Committee. And as we have done in the past, we'll hear a presentation from NEFIT, from our, our medical health experts, from our teams in the Department of Health, setting out exactly where we are and obviously they will, as they have always done, make recommendations and it's up to us as government to respond and to set out what will happen on the 5th of April. I think it's been probably mooted at this stage what many people's views are and and my own included in that, that we need to to give people a a response to the huge effort that they've made. That means perhaps opening up the five kilometre that's currently... Uh, prevents people from going outside of it. It means maybe allowing our younger people to get out a bit more, to engage in sporting activities, perhaps some parts of our um, construction sector, but other industries as well, perhaps that they could open up a little bit more. But we have to balance that with the fact that our numbers are stagnant. They haven't been going down as as, uh, they had in the previous month. They've remained high at between around six and 700 I think nearly the, every day for the last I think last the number of reported cases is, are on the increase, uh, in fact. Uh, and is it your view, Minister, that it, it's dangerous to reopen, even if it's only in small parts, that it's dangerous to reopen, but that it might be even more dangerous not to reopen, given the fatigue that there is and how fed up everybody is with this and that compliance uh, and obedience could break down altogether if you didn't give uh, people a, a little bit of wriggle room? I think there's a very, very fine balance to be had at the moment, acknowledging that people are at the, really at the end of their tether. It's, it's This lockdown in particular has been so difficult for people. I know the clocks changed at the weekend and that in itself, the, the longer evenings, it, it offers people some sense of hope. But you need to be able to give them something with that and to, to respond to the huge effort at the same time. And people will be conscious of, you know, what happened in December. Now I'm, 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 100% of the view that what happened in December was very much the B115 uh, variant, the, the, the UK variant, which mm. has seen this transmit much more easily. And obviously it, it had a huge impact when we opened up. Um, but what we don't want to do for the sake of potentially a few weeks is open up more than we should potentially have another yeah. wave as we're seeing sweeping through the, the, the whole of the EU at the moment. Um, but if we can gradually and give people something on the 5th and set out a timeline and what this might look like, we know that our vaccination numbers were getting over a million in the month of April, May, June. And the anticipation is that by the end of June, over 80% of adults will have their first vaccination. And that will make mm. a huge, huge difference to any of the choices that we as government, but individuals can take as well. So it really is such a fine balance. Yeah. And we want to get that balance. We want to be able to give people something in the response for what they have done. But I think everybody is very cautious as well, that if we go mm. too far, 
and cause another wave, then, you know, all of yeah. that work can uh, be undone. And there's the risk of all of that. Uh, and Easter then as well, because I think uh, there's concern when you look at uh, some of these big uh, events in the calendar and if they're linked to spikes, uh, whether it's Halloween or Christmas, St. Patrick's Day or Easter, which uh, we're about to uh, enter into. The hope, as you say, is uh, the vaccination programme uh, and uh, people are waiting patiently, some more patiently than others, uh, and some uh, have uh, felt uh, that that they've lost trust in the programme as a result of what happened at the Beacon. What are your thoughts on all of that, Minister? Well, when something like that happens, it does undermine the process. Um, the Beacon is, is a private hospital, but it put itself forward to to work with the HSE and the Department of Health and to support the rollout of the vaccinations. But that means that you do so in a way that adheres to the structures and, and the the, the categories that have been set out and that didn't happen over the weekend and, and I would share people's frustration there were very clear categories set out that were developed through our, our medical teams, our experts looking at who are our vulnerable people and you know why they're being vaccinated first and that clearly didn't happen. Do, do, do we need legislation that. to make sure that people follow those guidelines, that it would be an offence in other words uh, to break those guidelines? I, I'm not sure if that's what we need. I, I think the response to the beacon at the weekend um, was very clear that they didn't adhere to the guidelines. So while the people who were on the list, I think, to, to have been done, they will be they will receive their vaccination, but no further vaccinations will be allocated to the hospital. So there's a very clear response here where they haven't adhered to it that those who are carrying out the vaccinations that this won't. Uh, that, that they won't get any more, and, and I think they're, they're awaiting a response from the hospital themselves on that. But you know, this is about people having trust in the system. This is about our health service executive working with, whether it's the hospital groups, whether it's our GP surgeries, pharmacies, to get this out as quickly as possible. And that really needs to be our focus and our priority. And something like this detracts from the fact that that is our priority. The minute the vaccines come in, how quickly can we get them out? And to date, we have actually been getting vaccines out as quickly as they are coming in. But obviously, once we have our larger numbers, the priority will be, again, to make sure that we can get them out as quickly as possible. But that those who are being, those who are charged with actually rolling out these vaccines, that they do so in an appropriate way. So, you know, mm-hmm. there, there, there is a structure there. The, the head of the HSE, Paul Reid, has reiterated that and has communicated that multiple times. And for those who are not willing to engage in that structure, then perhaps they shouldn't be rolling out the vaccination. Mm. But, you know, I, I think we, we need saw, to keep focused. Okay. Minister, that is our priority. I, I'm sorry to cut across you. I'm holding you a long time and I don't want to uh, o- o- outstay our welcome, so to speak. Uh, but can I ask you quickly about uh, mandatory hotel quarantine? Uh, I'm sure lessons have to be learned from what occurred over this weekend. Absolutely. And if you look at any country that has introduced this and, and we're the first in Europe to introduce this, there are always going to be initial teething problems or, or initial uh, issues that arise. But if you look at the actual structure in the system itself, despite the fact that we had three people that, that left the facility uh, or left the hotel, the overall hotel quarantine has gone very well. The structures that have been put in place from when people arrive to when they go through the airport to when they get to the hotels has worked very well. Um, and obviously we hope that that will continue. The numbers are relatively low uh, and that is positive because the whole intention of hotel quarantine is actually to deter people from coming. It's an additional layer on top of all of the other travel layers that we've introduced from PCR testing to, uh, you know, getting rid of certain visas, free travel to, to home quarantine. So it is working 
I think, relatively well. And this is really, it's about keeping people safe. It's about anybody coming into the country, managing the risk that is potentially there from depending on where they've come from. But of course, there is, and I've spoken to my own teams in, in the border management unit and, and across the department last week, if problems arise, there's a very clear plan in place there where there's constant monitoring. Where do we need to change this? How do we need to improve it? And that will continue throughout all of this. So, you know, look, there are always going to be little hiccups at the start. There are always going to be problems we have to deal with. But I think overall, in the first few days, things have gone well. And hopefully we will, hopefully it will continue in that vein. OK. Thank you, Minister, for joining us this morning. Thanks, As Michael. always, that's the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, who's a Fine Gael TD for Meath East. Michael Reed on LMFM. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.